Well, this morning we're going to continue with our sermon series, Daniel, Remaining Faithful in a Faithless Generation. We're going to be camped out in Daniel 8 today. So if you like following along in your own Bible, uh, I encourage you to, to turn there. If you want to follow along with the verses on the screen, you're always free to do that as well. In Daniel 8, we encounter another one of Daniel's visions. So last Sunday, we looked at Daniel chapter 7, and we looked at this crazy dream that Daniel had. Um, just like Daniel chapter 7, Daniel 8 is unusual and it is complex. But I think, like always, there are some real good gold nuggets here in this passage for us living in 2018. And so let's pray. And then as usual, we'll read the scripture passage. And then I'll highlight some things that I think uh, we need to hear uh, today. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you have arrested death and that freedom has begun. And we can experience your resurrecting power living inside of us, transforming us, making us new. And of course, Lord, we can't wait for your return when you banish evil from your good world forever. Lord, we're so grateful that in the meantime, you are sovereign you're so sovereign over our greatest joys and over our deepest cries. Lord, help us to live as your people, your witnesses, your ambassadors, your representatives to a dying and hurting world that needs redemption. And that redemption is only found in you. We know this, Jesus. We pray that as we look at Daniel chapter 8, that your Holy Spirit would work through us and in us to challenge us, to comfort us. We thank you for your word that you preserved for us over all of these years. It is the bread our soul needs. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me read Daniel 8 to you. And like last Sunday, I encourage you, it's going to be super easy just to start zoning out. But I encourage you to engage with the scripture. I encourage you to really soak every word in. Let me uh, start here. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. To me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Yule. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him. Nor was there any that could deliver from his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And I, as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, 
and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him. And there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken. And in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the hosts and some of the stars to the ground, and it trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and is cast, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it happened when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Ulay who called and said, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, that that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at that appointed time, the end shall be. The ram which you saw having the two horns, they are the kings of of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached to their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, and not by his own power he shall destroy fearfully. And he shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. And he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. In the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore, seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward, I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Right on. From this passage, from this big, complex vision Here's what I want to focus on with you this morning. Evil has many faces, 
Suffering has a variety of causes. God has come to destroy evil and redeem our suffering. Evil has many faces. Suffering has a variety of causes. God has come to destroy evil and redeem our suffering. Let's first look at evil has many faces. Evil and how it works is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. You know, what causes a student to walk into a school and shoot his classmates, right? What causes a government to murder millions of people? What causes famines and earthquakes and volcanic eruptions that kill thousands of people? What creates systems that exploits minorities and keeps them on the margins of society? It's also hard to understand. It's also hard to make sense of. And I think in an attempt to make sense of the evil in our world, people have come up with a variety of theories as to what causes the evil and what can be done about it, if anything at all can be done about it. You know, some people believe that people are basically good. And so what makes them evil is poor parenting or being bullied in school or uh, their teachers failing them in the educational system. It's not the school shooter's fault. It, it's simply, it's the parents' fault. It's, it's the classmates who bullied the kids' fault. It's the teachers who didn't see his needs and then meet those needs. Some people say that the reason that there's so much evil in the world is simply because people make bad choices. If people didn't make bad choices, there wouldn't be any evil, there wouldn't be any suffering. Some people really emphasize that the reason that there's so much evil in the world is because of evil societal systems and structures that oppress people. You know, reform the educational system, reform the welfare system, reform the healthcare system, reform the political system, reform those things and we will see evil go away. Some people blame psychological problems for all the evil in the world. If we just give people better psychological treatment, if we just give them be better pharmaceutical treatment, we will curb a lot of the evil in the world. Some believe that supernatural power and forces are behind all the evil in the world and they're directly the cause of all the pain and suffering we see. And you need to try and combat those evil spiritual forces with rituals and incantations, incant incantations, right? You know, I think Christianity gives the best the best, well-rounded, most comprehensive explanation for the problem of evil. You see, Christianity tells us that evil is multifaceted. It's complex. It's not just this and it's not just that. Christianity tells us that, yes, there is evil present in the systems of our society. But it also tells us that in addition to corrupt and evil systems, there's also evil in the spiritual realm. 
that love to kill and destroy and steal and cause all kinds of havoc. But Christianity also doesn't let the individual off the hook. And Christianity tells us that there's evil that runs right down the middle of every single human heart. Which causes them to make all kinds of evil choices that leads to all kinds of suffering. Christianity also tells us that there's evil in the natural world. That this earth is under a curse And because it's under the curse of sin and death, it doesn't function the way that God created it to function. And and, and as a result, we have disease and we have natural disasters that kill. Here in Daniel 8, we see the the many faces of evil. First, in Daniel 8, we see evil at the, the systemic level. In Daniel's vision, we have a ram with two horns, and we learn in verse 20 that the ram represents the Medo-Persian kingdom, which in 12 years from this vision will be the world superpower. They'll replace the Babylonians as the world superpower. Verse 21 tells us that there's this male goat that Daniel saw, and it represents the kingdom of Greece. Greece would then replace the Medo-Persian kingdom as the world's superpower. Scholars agree that that great horn that was coming out of the goat that represents the kingdom of Greece was Alexander the Great. He conquered the world in less than 10 years by the age of 33. Can you imagine Scholars believe that the four horns that replace the large horn were Alexander's four generals that came to divide up the kingdom among themselves, the kingdom of Greece, after Alexander the Great's death. And one of these four kingdoms that came out of the kingdom of Greece was the Seleucids, and the Seleucids were led by this guy named Antiochus. Antiochus IV Epiphanes is, I believe, how you say his last name. And this is all to say that the Medo-Persian Empire became the Greek Empire, which... uh, 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 also became the Seleucid Empire. And all these empires, they had systems in place that were contrary to the ways of God. Pagan systems that contributed to the evil in the world. But it really came to a head under Antiochus. Antiochus was an extremely evil ruler. He wanted to get rid of all ethnic diversity in his kingdom so that the civil wars and the feuding and fighting would stop and wouldn't be a threat on the inside to tear his kingdom apart. And so what he did is he forced people to adopt his Greek culture and his religious practices. And he was really brutal with God's people, the Israelites. He banned circumcision. He brought an end to sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem. He deliberately filled (laughs) or defiled the temple by burning pig's flesh on the altar. He placed an object that was sacred to the God of Zeus 
in the Holy of Holies. Remember, this is where God's personal presence dwelt with his people in a very special way. It was, the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies you know, once a year on the Day of Atonement. He also burned copies of Scripture and slaughtered those who remained faithful to the God of the world, Yahweh. Antiochus was a completely what Daniel 8 describes and predicted. He was wicked, he was fierce, he was cunning, and he used sinister schemes. And I say all of this because here in Daniel 8, we see evil at the systemic level. But we also see evil active in the spiritual realm in Daniel 8. Antiochus wasn't simply at war against God's people. He was also at war against what, you know, verse 10 and 11, verses 10 and 11 tell us, against the host of heaven and the prince of the host of heaven. In other words, Antiochus was at war against God. Epiphanes was the name that Antiochus gave himself. And you know what it means? It means God manifest. And this shows us that behind the earthly, you know, battles that we see, Behind the physical realm, there's a spiritual realm that is at work and at play. And as we get to Daniel 10, where Daniel pulls back the, the curtain for us, and we can really see the spiritual realm behind the physical realm and how it affects us in the here and now. And finally, we see evil in the hearts of individual people in Daniel 8. Even God's people, verse 12 tells us that because of transgression on the part of God's people, the saints in the temple sacrifices were handed over to Antiochus. God's very own people had rebelled against them. Why? Because evil was in their hearts, and it led them to ditch God. You know, instead of being the light to the world that they were called to be, they ended up being lost in the darkness. And if you were to turn to Daniel 9, Daniel is lamenting this fact. This very sad fact. You know, one thing we don't ex explicitly see in Daniel 8 is natural evil, but we find it in many other places of the Bible. Natural evil that causes disease, that causes natural disasters. You see, evil has many faces. Systemic evil, there's spiritual evil, there's individual evil, and there's natural evil. So what does this mean for us today? Why am I highlighting this? Well, here's something that I think is extremely important. Our approach to fight against the multifaceted nature of evil has to be multifaceted as well. We can't fight evil at one level and ignore evil at the other levels. We can't fight evil at the systemic level and then ignore it at the individual level or ignore it at the spiritual level. And vice versa. One thing I appreciate about CCHO where Kevin and Brandon work is I think they recognize this. And I think they're, they have programs that are addressing the, the entire person and even the family systems and structures. Because they realize that evil is a multifaceted thing. Number two. So number one, evil has many faces. Number two, suffering has a variety of causes. If the evil behind suffering has many faces, that means this, that suffering has a variety of causes. You know, none of us like to suffer. None of us like to experience pain and grief. But suffering is a fact of life, right? We know this. 
And often when we suffer, we want to know why, don't we? Why am I going through this valley? What could I have done to avoid this suffering that I'm experiencing? Why is this happening to me right now? Like God's people in Daniel 8, sometimes we bring suffering upon ourselves. The evil in our heart leads us to make evil choices, which lead to all sorts of negative consequences in our lives. You know, the woman who cheats on her spouse experiences a lot of suffering in her marriage because of her poor choices. And her children distance distance themselves from her, and that leads to more suffering, right? But who's to blame? The woman's to blame. I think of Jonah, who disobeyed God, and as a result, he found himself in a terrible storm, swallowed up by a whale. Who was the blame for his suffering? Jonah was the blame for his suffering. I would venture to say that the majority of our suffering in this world is self-inflicted. But not always. Sometimes we experience suffering because of the sin of others. I think of Daniel in our passage. Everything indicates that Daniel was a righteous man. He wasn't perfectly sinless, but he was wholly devoted to God. Everything supports that he wasn't like the, you know, the bulk of Israel that had just turned their back on God, was disobeying God, living as if God didn't exist, which led to their cap- captivity in Babylon, by the way. Unfortunately, Daniel got caught in the middle of all this, and he too was carted off to Babylon to serve a really wicked king and King Nebuchadnezzar, and then subsequent wicked kings. Daniel was suffering because of the sins of of his people. Sometimes we do as well, don't we? You know, back to the person that cheats on their spouse, often they cause all kinds of suffering for their children. Is it the children's fault? Absolutely not. Sometimes we experience suffering because of evil systems. When he arrived in Babylon, Daniel was immediately enrolled into an evil educational system that taught him all the ways of, of the demonic. I think of God's people in the New Testament who were under the brutal rule of the Roman Empire and experienced a ton of unfair Uh, taxes, heavy taxes that were oppressive. Recently, I think about in our own country, the Jim Crow laws in the South that unjustly treated the black people of our country. I think of the entire sex slave industry that Ryan Berg is up against in, in India. Sometimes we experience suffering simply because we live in a fallen world marred by evil. I think of the young mother with four kids that is diagnosed with terminal cancer. I think of natural disasters. Our youth group is over in Guatemala right now working in areas that were affected by uh, an eruption of a volcano. Sometimes we experience suffering caused by the evil forces in the spiritual realm. You know, just Daniel getting a glimpse of the spiritual warfare that was behind his visions in Daniel 8 left him faint and sick for days. I think of the devastation that Satan caused Job. 
Suffering has many causes because evil has many faces. Now, why is this important for us to know? Knowing that suffering has many causes should caution us from being too quick to assign a reason to why a person is suffering. I think sometimes we can be too quick. They're suffering because, oh, of their, because of their sin, because of their evil choices. We can, we, we can jump to that conclusion. That's what Job's friends, that's the conclusion they jumped to, and it was wrong. I think sometimes we can almost come, you know, bring ourselves to a neurotic state where we're thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm suffering. What did I do to cause this suffering in my life? Sometimes it is a result of that. Oftentimes it isn't. We can't also assume that, you know, a person's suffering is just the result of some unjust system or, and they're not responsible uh, for the problem themselves. And I think that's what often happens in our culture today is we, uh, you know, absolve people of responsibility. Blame, we put the blame in so many other places and there are people that act the victim, right? And, and that's their mindset. You know what, I think often when we're experiencing suffering, it's really a combination of evil in a lot, on a lot of levels and a lot of dimensions. So I think of the person in prison that's locked up. And the reason they're there could p- potentially be because they've made bad choices. The judicial system gave them an extremely unfair sentence. The educational system that they were brought in, didn't give them, brought up in, didn't give them much help. Their parents did a horrible job raising them, and the forces in the spiritual realm have been waging war against them. Evil has many faces. Suffering has many causes. Number three, God has come to destroy evil and redeem our suffering. You know, one reason that I think it's important for us to have a comprehensive view of evil is so that we can adequately appreciate God's amazing response to that evil and how awesome his salvation is. Now, of course, this doesn't uh, remove all the mystery that's involved in evil and suffering, and I think there is so much mystery there. I think we can start to understand some of it, but I don't think we, will, we may never fully understand it completely. And I think that's a big reason why Daniel said in verse 27, I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Not even Daniel himself, who, by the way, had been interpreting dreams and visions throughout the, throughout the entire book of Daniel. We've, we've gone through it. And I think the mystery for Daniel was not, he knew suffering was going to come to his people. He knew God's judgment was going to come to his people. But he didn't know, like, for how long and exactly when and in exactly what ways. But the more we understand evil, the more we're able to appreciate God's amazing response to it. And really, that's what the, the, the entire storyline of the Bible is all about. Curse is fine. It's God coming into the world to deal with the curse as far as the curse is found. It's a story about God's amazing defeat of evil and the suffering that it causes. Maybe you're here today and you're suffering. 
Perhaps you're experiencing suffering because of the consequences of some sin that you've committed. Maybe you're suffering because you're, you're experiencing some sort of natural evil. Maybe it's, it's health-related disease that is causing you to suffer. Maybe you're suffering because the enemy is tempting you to believe lies about yourself. Maybe you're suffering because of an unjust, unjust system that is being employed at your place of employment. Perhaps you're here today and you're hurting and you don't even know exactly why. No matter, what, no matter if the evil behind your suffering is clear or whether it's shrouded in mystery, there's some real hope embedded in Daniel 8. And I believe this hope has the power to anchor us in the storms of life. First of all, in Daniel 8, we see that God is sovereign over evil. I love that song that we sang. It's a new song. And, you know, two lines. God is sovereign over, I think, like something like our greatest joy, but he's also sovereign over our deepest cry. Verse 14, he tells us that, uh, Daniel tells us that in the time of suffering that, that God's people would experience under Antiochus, it would last for 2,300 days. You know what this tells us is that even evil is not outside of God's sovereign control. Evil is only allowed to do what God permits it to do. Evil does not have free reign. It can't do whatever it wants to do, whenever it wants to do it, however it wants to do it. If evil had its way, the human race would have been obliterated a long time ago. To be clear, God is not the author of evil. James 1.13 tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone to do evil. But he does overrule evil for his good purposes. He does. And I hope it's a comfort. But you will not suffer any more or any less than the time that it will take to accomplish God's good purposes. He has a plan. He sees you. He is good. He has promised to be with you. He is your strength. He is your shepherd. He will give you what you need when you need it. And he will bring an end to your suffering at just the right time. Secondly, God defeats evil. In verse 25, we see that evil reaches its peak in the little horn that represents Antiochus. The little horn is broken. But check that out. Did you see that? But not by human hands. This text is referring to Antiochus's being defeated by the hands of God himself. And this should remind us that God always wins. God always wins. Wicked kingdoms, wicked kings, they, they rise up. And even though they seem to be succeeding and winning for a period of time, they always come to an end by the hands of God. You know, Alexander the Great, I said he conquered the world in less than 10 years. By the age of 33, you know how he died? By a fever. The man died by a fever. God always wins. He even conquers the greatest human conquerors in human history. You know, God is in control of who is in control. And God always wins. 
God's power to defeat evil, to redeem suffering, was so evident and most evident in Jesus' death, which we're going to be remembering today by taking communion. You know, evil was at its worst in Jesus' death, wasn't it? We see evil in all its faces during Jesus' life, death, and especially at his death. There was individual evil. Think of Judas' betrayal of Jesus. There was systemic evil. Think of the unfair uh, judicial you know, uh, experience that Jesus had at the hands of corrupt Jewish religious leaders that really had corrupted the whole temple system. There was spiritual evil, of course. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus told Peter, hey, Satan's looking to sift you like wheat, Peter. All forms of evil were present and working together to utterly destroy the Son of God. And what does Jesus do? He takes it all on while he hangs there on the cross and dies. And then he raises from the dead, showing his defeat of evil in all its forms. Remarkable. And then he sends out the Spirit to live inside people like you and me who have turned to him in repentance and faith. And he he allows his Spirit to live inside of us so that we can experience the same power over evil and so that we experience resurrection just like he did. Look, if you're a Christian, God will do for you what he did for Jesus on the cross. In Jesus' death, evil had leveraged all it had and gave the Son of God its best shot. And what did God do? God out. Overruled it, totally controlled it in such a way that evil's worst brought out God's best. The greatest amount of good that has ever happened. That's how God leveraged the most wicked evil that has ever happened in this world. Salvation for the world and the defeat of evil itself. And here's the promise that I think Daniel knew and Romans 8.28 explicitly states. If you're connected to God through faith in his son Jesus Christ, God is going to do the same for you. He will defeat evil by leveraging all of evil's best shots against you. For your greatest good. This is the utter defeat of evil. Can you imagine being evil and every time you attack and you throw your best shot at God's chosen, his children? It works against you in such a way that it just makes them stronger, more powerful, more like Christ, more glorious. How frustrating that would be. And, of course, we don't feel sorry for the enemy. If you're suffering today and you are a Christ follower, take heart. I know it doesn't feel like it, but God is leveraging evil attacks on you and the pain it causes you to grow your faith, to make you a person who lacks no good thing, and he will give you what you need when you need it. And then one day, and we we continue to celebrate, and as we take communion, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns And completely banishes the curse of evil as far as the curse is found. 
And that means there will be no more evil at any level. There will be no more faces of evil. Evil will not be multifaceted because it will not exist anymore in God's good world. Instead, it will be God's kingdom come in full, his unshakable, unmovable, eternal kingdom. There will be no more evil in the human heart, no more systems of evil, no more evil regimes, no more natural evil, no more spiritual evil. And because there will be no more evil, there will be no more suffering. This is the world we have to look forward to. And we're going to be shouting in that new world, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Evil has many faces. Suffering has a variety of causes. God has come to destroy evil and redeem our suffering. God is in control. He's good. He loves you. He's going to use your mess for good. You're going to get through this. And let's look forward to the day of the king's return when he removes evil once and for all, forever. You know what, in the meantime, as Daniel did, and we know this by Daniel 27, you know what Daniel did in the meantime as he awaited for God's salvation? He went about the king's business. Are you going about the king's business? Are you engaging this hurting culture, this culture that is so ripe with evil, are you engaging it to see freedom come to captives? At all levels. Are you seeking to partner with God to free people from evil at all levels so that your life and work will be a preview for what's to come for people whose trust is in Jesus? You are to be a trailer. You know how movies have trailers? Your life right now should be a trailer of the new world, a preview, a signpost of the new world that will be ushered in. Is it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the mighty king and that you have been victorious, that you have overcome evil in all its forms and that you have offered for us to be more more than conquerors over the very same evil uh, through a relationship with you. We praise you for what you've done on the cross. When evil wanted to do its worst and tried to do its worst, (laughs) you so orchestrated things and so leveraged it and so just outworked it that you used it for the greatest blessing this world has ever seen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to come and to be a man and to go through such pain and agony to destroy evil for us. God the Father, we thank you for sending your Son. God the Spirit, we thank you for empowering the Son to do what we couldn't do in our place as our substitute. Lord, as we come and as we take communion and as we drink the bread and as we drink the juice, may it remind us of your body broken for us, your blood spilled out for us. May we not take it for granted the freedom that we are now experiencing in you and the freedom that we have to look forward to when you return. Thank you, 
Jesus, that you are the resurrecting king that is resurrecting us. It's in Jesus' name I pray.